while you're finding the book of First Thessalonians this evening. I uh, totally understand where you're at. You've listened to a lot of preaching, and it's kind of like your grandmother trying to force the leftovers down your throat after you've had Thanksgiving dinner. And we can't. We, there's, we don't want to leave any of this, so eat this. And you're just so full. You're trying to, uh, you know, <laughs> get it down. I know that you've you've heard a lot. I know it's uh, we're tired. I want to be quick this evening, but. Before we get into uh, the message this evening, I just want to say some thank yous uh, to the church. I want to thank uh, our family personally. I want to thank the Sals and their uh, hospitality, their love, their kindness, and their uh, their patience with us and uh, opening their home for us. We've been uh, living with them uh, for a little while, and uh, usually that's a terrible recipe uh, to live with your mother-in-law, but uh, it has been really good. I told her this week, I said, what are you going to do with me, without me in the kitchen bumping into you every once in a while? And uh, she's going to have a good time. But we really do honestly thank them. I want to say thank them publicly uh, for their love for us. I want to thank our family, uh, John and Jess that's here, and, and my mom and dad that are here, my side, and their faithfulness and uh, just their resilience and uh, the heart that the Lord has given them to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to be faithful till he returns, it's an example to us, and we appreciate it very much and your love for us. And uh, we, we respect you. It's funny, people say, you're, you know, your dad's been preaching, he's 90 years old. Well, I, I feel like dad's been old all my life. He had me at 47 years old. And so I, I tell people I was raised by my granddad. And uh, it, uh, I think it's my phone, brother. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, and so, I, I, he, yes, he, he's been around for a long time. And I tell you, the, the collective wisdom of one man of God being faithful to the Lord since the fall of 1953 is, is stabilizing. And it's, it's humbling. And it's an incredible example to me. And I, I thank the Lord for just the, the humble, consistent, that, that flow that Pastor Knox was talking about. That flow of meekness that just keeps uh, flowing, and I, I want to publicly thank them. Uh, I want to thank Hope Baptist Church for your kindness to us and just um, bringing us in and letting us feel a part here and and uh, just revealing um, the Holy Spirit working in you in in your kindness and your your gifts and uh, your faithfulness to the Lord and to this church, and and we are so thankful for the memories that God has given us. You know, you have memories. You're going to live life. You have memories. And there are some that are really hard for you, isn't there? Some hard memories. Uh, when we step here on South Avenue, or if we, even if we, we went a couple years ago to Glendale and went back and visited the old building, uh, those are incredible memories for us. Such good memories. And the neat thing about it for, for Julie and I, I know, and for our family, is that they're spiritual memories. And that is just, you, you just can't, Put a, put a price on that. And it has to do with what the Lord has done here at this church. And it has to do with what you have allowed the Lord to do through you. Thank you for a Bible conference. I know it's a wipeout. I know it is. Especially hosting a conference is a wipeout. Thank you. From, from, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for uh, uh, just preparing a table for people to eat spiritually. And doing all the work behind the scenes. And uh, I want to ask you to pray for us as we step into this next phase of ministry. And uh, we are heading out west to take a church in, um, on a mission field. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but there's a huge mission field in the west. 
<laughs> and I've had people say, the land of fruits and nuts. Yes, it, it is a land of fruits and nuts, but uh, it, it's a huge mission field. People say their people are fleeing that state. Actually, you'd be surprised how many people are replacing them. The houses go up and they're sold and people come back in. Uh, yes, people are fleeing the state, but uh, it's attached to the United States of America and it's a mission field. And I, pray, I ask you to pray for us as we go uh, to uh, step out in service at Shadow Mountain Baptist Church. And it's a church in need, a church uh, that has... Uh, a rich history, but needs encouragement and needs some um, rebuilding. And so I'd ask you to pray for that. And uh, we'll, if you'd like some more details, we can give you some more details after the service. I just want to kind of keep it short. First Thessalonians chapter 5 this evening. Just a quick, uh, quick two-point message this evening. This is a, a book preparing the Christian for the return of Christ. Paul wrote this short book to new believers that he was only with. A, a, a little bit of time. He was not able to stay with them a long time. And so in, in that time period, he was concerned for their spiritual growth. In chapter 1, he talks about the witness that they had and that they uh, showed of themselves how they turned from idols and people knew about the faith of the Thessalonians. In chapter 2, he talked about the way he and others in his team ministered to the Thessalonians and how that they tried to uh, live a life of example. And he said, you are the witness of that, and you are our witnesses, and, and you're an example of us. And, and he said, here's how we ministered, and here's uh, what the Lord allowed us to do uh, in your midst. In chapter 3, he talks about this worry that he has, that they're going to be moved um, because he's not able to be there to encourage them. So he has this worry for a young church to continue and to be prepared, be prepared for the return of Christ. In chapters 4 and 5, he goes very practical and talks about the walk of the believer. And so I want us to jump down in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and here's where he gets somewhat practical of the, to the body. And he says in verse 11, he says, wherefore, and it's, the wherefore is there because he's contrasting night and day and light and darkness all through verses 1 uh, and through, through 10. Believers, we're not of the night, we're of the day. Here's how we're supposed to walk. We're supposed to walk like we're of the day and not of the night. And he's going back and forth. And, of course, there's a lot of doctrinal uh, truths here concerning his return and the, and the rapture. But notice in chapter 5, verse 11, he says, Wherefore, after all this, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Something you're already doing, but continue it. And then he has this plea in verse 12. He says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. I just want to speak to you this evening on this subject, a thriving church family. Father, thank you for this family here tonight, this local family of believers. Bless tonight as we speak for these moments. May you fill me with the Spirit that I might minister the Word tonight. Thank you for this opportunity and encourage us through your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Really, there's a personal walk he talks about, there's a public walk, and there's a practical walk. And that's where he's at. The walk of the believer has some practical application. 
and it's found right here in chapter 5, and it starts in verse 11. If you haven't discovered it yet, uh, church is family. Amen? Church is a family. And we have some odd members of that family. Am I right? There are odd members of a family. But it is a wonderful family. Uh, God's children are wonderful. Um, some of us are stinkers. But we are bound together through a common thread of salvation. When you ignore the family, the church family, it can be tragic. It can be a tragic thing. Some people uh, get a little bit bent out of shape and they stay out of church. And sometimes when they come back, it's very hard to readjust. Just let me say this. The prodigal son's father spent a lot of time waiting on him to return. And when he returned, he welcomed him with open arms to the chagrin of the elder brother. So we must be careful that, well, I've stayed faithful. Remember, it seems as if uh, the prodigal son's father spent more time rebuking that elder brother than he did the younger. Why? He, he assumed he knew the father's heart. Be careful. The father's heart is welcoming. And so the church family is an amazing thing. And God has given this family, Hope Baptist Church, this local family, some incredible things. And I want to talk about that just in two points this evening. How a church can, a church family can thrive. And what it takes for a church family to thrive. There are a lot of essentials that are needed to help a church family thrive, it seems. But the scripture here gives us two. It gives us two things. We complicate it, but the scripture simplifies it. What are the essentials that God has given Hope Baptist Church in order for it to thrive? Number one, godly leadership. God gives godly leadership. He says in verse 12 here, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. We are brothers in Christ and this family, and that's what, what we have in common is the gospel. The gospel. Uh, I have things in common with other people in this room. We, uh, some of us like certain sports, and some of us like certain hobbies, and some of us like certain um, hair products, and some of us like certain jokes, and some of us like certain jobs, and we, we all connect in some way on a human level. But there are others in this room that if I'm not careful, I have no connection with humanly, it seems. I wouldn't, we wouldn't even be in the same room talking had it not been for the gospel in our lives. And that's what connects us together. And remember this. In this passage that's before us this evening, Paul is describing what life should look like because of the gospel. Not in spite of the gospel, but because of the gospel. Now, godly leadership is needed for a thriving church family. You see, when it comes to church leadership, there has always been, it seems, extreme examples throughout church history. And on one side, at times it seems leaders have been placed and are still placed in exalted positions that are unbiblical. Lofty, clergy, laity positions, where over here are those that are... are uh, the spiritual leaders, and over here are those that would like to hang around them. 
And that dichotomy has been throughout church history. That is unbiblical. On the flip side, though, it seems like some Christians don't want anything to do with church leadership. They are lone rangers, bless God. You have to throw that in there, it kind of spiritualizes it. And they don't need any church leadership. They've seen everything, they've experienced everything, and they also can sum everything up. Both positions are wrong. The idea that uh, church leadership should be raised up in some sort of priestly class, and this idea that, well, I ain't going to follow nobody. These are wrong positions. The scripture helps us. Let me give you some ideas of what godly leadership means. Godly leaders are farmers. They're like farmers. You see here, he says they labor among you. They're working among you. They have a job among you. A spiritual leader is one that plants and waters and weeds and fertilizes. It's like being a parent. You know your kids, and you know how they, their inclinations, and so you're constantly watching what hook might get in their mouth or what weed might grow in their garden. And so a, a, a godly leader is looking around and, and, and seeing this. See, a godly pastor labors, labors. He labors in the Word. Uh, teaching and preaching and preparing sermons is not easy. Not if you're going to do it well. It was a lot harder before chat GPT, but... Some of you have no idea what I just said. Thank the Lord. Artificial intelligence. You guys see that about that church in Germany that artificial intelligence literally wrote the entire service? Did you see that? And they animated the pastor on the screen. He wasn't even a person. Kind of scary, isn't it? Anybody say uh, the animated beast in Revelation? Wild. But I'm telling you, to do the hard work to, to prepare spiritual food is labor. It's actually draining. It drains you. And people that, uh, that have never tried it don't quite understand it. But if you ever tried it, you realize, whew, it takes a lot out of you. You know, that's what a godly pastor, that's what a godly preacher, a godly evangelist, a godly teacher does. And, and, and the, the pastor that God has given you is preparing sermons and visiting the sick is preparing sermons and counseling and instructing and baptizing and marrying and burying and administrating, and it's hard work. It is not only on Sunday. The closest job comparison I can think of is the old family doctor. The old family doctor was always on call. And the thing is, he could go on vacation but the burden of the person that he just fixed is still on his heart. And so they go, but they're worried about their patients. Does that make sense? I think it's one of the closest because you're always, you always have to be ready. Now, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, know your pastor. Know those that labor among you. People can sometimes get to a place where they say, well, the pastor just doesn't know me. It's not, that's not scripturally what's supposed to happen. 
The Bible says you're supposed to know them. You need to get to know them. You need to get to know what beats their heart and what they, what God has burdened them for. The Bible says in First Thessalonians, or excuse me, First Timothy five seventeen, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. You say, well, this one pastor I had, man, he knew how to bring the people through the door. Well, maybe he did. Maybe he had a better personality to bring people through the door. But the Bible says the one that labors in the word and doctrine are worthy of double honor than that guy. The one that actually puts the time into the scripture is worthy of more honor than someone that might have a different personality. Amen? Don't worry, I'm coming to you here in a second. There's two points to the message. So, the, the, God gives us godly leaders. And listen, I'm not asking this for myself. I, I, I had to, I had to text them four times to just get permission to preach this message this evening. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We haven't talked. I think this is going to be helpful. I believe it is. It's the Word of God. Notice, verse 12, the Bible talks about to be, I beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Godly leaders are farmers. They're constantly laboring. Godly leaders are shepherds. Leadership, Dad, is not dominance. It's protection. Leadership, uh, uh, CEO, is not domination and manipulation. It's protection. Leadership is not just a privilege. It's not just a name on the door. It's a heavy responsibility. Peter said it this way, The elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also the partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He gives all of his qualifications. Then he says, Hey elders, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage. Uh, Jesus said about the Gentiles that they exercised lordships, lordship. They worked at it. They studied it. They figured out how to manipulate their constituents. He said, it's not going to be my servants. My servants are going to remember they're over my flock. They're under shepherds. He said, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Listen, I am truly sorry for those that had a bad experience in church. I am. But God still wants you to be under the leadership of someone, somewhere. You, you want to pray something for Pastor Marshall? Pray this. Pray that God teaches him how to be over and among. That's hard. To be an over... You know, and by the way, taking the oversight, you know what an overseer does? He sees over. That's it. That's why the shepherd's taller than the sheep. He can see danger. He can see wolves before the sheep do. The sheep go, mad grass. And the, and the shepherd has to say, Hey! Danger, Will Robinson! Here comes the wolf. That's a shepherd's job. 
That's why he has the oversight. It is not to beat sheep. It's to see wolves. You say, what kind of wolves? Oh, like the internet. Like the false doctrine that is propagated and, and, and proliferate on the internet and in many people's lives. Uh, I just want to help say something. Some of these young people around here, I'm talking college age students, you need to go to them and you need to encourage them. They are being influenced either overtly or covertly by people outside this church. And you need to go to them and you encourage them because they're feeling that pressure. You don't understand it. Older generation, you may not understand it, but when when everybody's doing it, they want to do it too. Encourage them. And your pastor can see over and see some things to encourage and to help. I read a book, and I highly recommend it for anybody that's in leadership. It's called The Way of the Shepherd by Kevin Lehman. And he has a chapter in there called The Rod of Correction. And he says there's three reasons why a shepherd uses the rod of correction with the sheep. Number one is to protect from predators, to fight off coyotes, you know, wild dogs and mountain lions and Democrats. Okay, just see if you're awake. Okay, number two, he said there's, you, you protect from predators. Number two is to correct the sheep. Some sheep don't listen very well, and you have to uh, use a little bit more of a stern warning with that rod. And then number three, he said there's a third reason why a shepherd carries a rod. He says it's to inspect the sheep. Have you ever um, heard the, the phrase, don't let them pull the wool over your eyes? That happens because sheep, if they're not shorn, they, they, the wool goes over top of their eyes to where they don't care. As long as they can see down on grass, they don't care. So they let that wool grow down over their eyes, and underneath the wool can be disease and bugs. And so the shepherd will use his rod to reach out and just kind of lift that wool up and see if there's anything growing underneath there. Hey, you're getting getting long in the hair there. Let me see what's going on. Why should you stay faithful to church? Because God has given you a gift to this church. And what he does is he takes the rod and says, anything going on in there? Hey, is there any disease growing in there? Be careful. We think of the rod as beating the sheep. That's not what it's for. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. The rod can help point out things in your life. And that's God's gift to us. To help us. It's your, jo- your pastor's job to part the wool and check if there's any disease. That's not easy. I don't like any man doing that. As a man, I think it's not any man's job to point out problems in my life, right? But it's the pastor's responsibility. And so, I say to you this. Here's, again, again, notice this, it says in verse 12, they're over you and they admonish you to warn and to, oh boy, this is hard, to notify of a fault. Means to admonish, to notify of a fault. Some people want their pastor to be their buddy so they don't have to take what they preach seriously. Some people want their pastor to tell them everything they're supposed to buy. 
Well, I called my pastor. He said I should get the red car. People can take, it's again, those two extremes, right? I don't, nobody tells me anything to do, and the pastor tells me everything to do. We must be careful. The, the, the balance of a pastor is over and among. You say, how does that happen? By the grace of God and by the prayers of God's people. Over and among. The challenge is there. And this requires a balance that only God can give. And so, I read about Daniel Webster. Daniel Webster, the famous American politician, orator, he once went to New Hampshire in the summer, and on that trip, he went every day on the Lord's Day to this little country church. Morning and evening he went. His niece asked him why he went to this little country church while he was on summer vacation. And she wanted to know why you didn't pay attention to the more abler sermons that were preached in Washington, D.C. He said this, In Washington, they preached to Daniel Webster, the statesman. But this man has been ten telling Daniel Webster, the sinner of Jesus of Nazareth. Thank God that that man stood on his hind legs, though it was a little country church, and a man that could take apart his sermon, I'm sure, Daniel Webster, and preach to the sinner. The man that could speak, I'm sure, in more abler ways than that man, but submitted himself to a preacher that said, Hey, how's it going with this? That's what your pastor is doing. Notice in, in verse 3, there's, there's a couple more things will be done. That is this. Godly leaders are valuable. He says to esteem them very highly in love, to set a value upon them, and to estimate. You remember Ephesians 4 tells us that God gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. God's gift to this church is your pastor. And your pastor sees your soul as very valuable because God purchased it with his own blood. So do you see God's gift to you as valuable? And that's one lesson. We need to value God's men. Why? Because we like them. No. <laughs> uh, be, because they have the coolest website. No. Uh, some people go to the, a, a church where the pastor gives them clout. Oh, I go to this church. Uh, we've already been confused with another shadow mountain in California where a very good man of God preaches. People say, oh, I know that church. He's a good man. He's a good man. But some people go to some churches for the clout. Listen, God says, value those that labor among you. Why? For their work's sake, in verse 13. Preaching God's word, standing in the balance between heaven and hell, is a very serious matter. And eternal souls are at stake Maybe even some of your kids in this room are at stake when the preaching of God's word is proclaimed and it's work. So a thriving church family requires godly leadership. But number two, and lastly, verse 14 through 15, you see godly partnership. As a brother or a sister in this local body, we have a responsibility for our church to thrive. How? 
Well, it's kind of opposite to what I think, but notice in verse 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Now that's interesting to me because I would think that God would have the under-shepherd do all of the warning, and they do. But here, the Bible holds the body accountable to him in to corral to help. To, to bring those that are unruly. Like a soldier who won't keep rank, some Christians need to be warned. When a Christian is out of line, they're in danger of losing rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. You say, well, I don't want to talk to them. You're commanded to. You say, what does unruly mean? Well, we could talk about the rest of the book and, and what Paul referenced, but there's some things out of order. There's some dangerous doctrines. There's some uh, influences that come in, and sometimes people stand back and they know somebody. I had a, a man that I discipled, and his, his children were running wildly throughout the church. And um, what I should have done is gone up to the pastor and said, you need to preach on raising your kids next Sunday. But I didn't do that. And the reason why is I had already in- invested in him probably three to four months of an hour, hour and a half, two hours every week in trying to train him in the Word of God so that he could do that for someone else. I didn't want someone else ruining that. So what I did is I prayed. I prayed for a while. And then when we sat down over coffee, I said, hey, brother, if I was to give you something that I've prayed about that's a concern that I have for you and your family, would you receive me saying it? Before I ever said it, I said that. Would you receive me saying it? He said, absolutely. I said, are you, are you sure? I mean, Tim Hortons is good and everything, but you might just get up and walk out. And he said, no, man. No, no, no. And by the way, you know why he received it? By the grace of God? It's because we're sharing the Word of God together. I'm invested in his life. I'm not here to destroy him. I'm not here to ridicule him. I prayed about it. I said, would you receive it? He said, yes. I said, brother, I think, you know, and what I did is I talked about how my kids sometimes run around in the church and how they're not always ruly and more unruly. He, he said, man, I told him. He said, thank you. He went home the next Sunday. It was like there was a handcuff on that child. <laughs> Right with them. I'm not saying everything was fixed. I'm just saying this. I had another situation where a lady saw a, another lady in the church that was just not dressed godly enough. She had no relationship with that lady, but she pulled her in the side room and reamed her out. How do you think that went? Not well. In fact, the lady said, I just left a church over this kind of attitude. She was that close to leaving again. You know, one of the reasons why you have a relationship with someone in the church is you'll know the warning signs when they become unruly. If all you do is pass each other in the hallway and there's no relationship, you won't know. Be like, where did so and so go? Oh, I don't. You didn't hear? No, they're gone. See, the Paul says you need to warn them, brethren. We exhort. We, now we exhort you. Brethren, warn them. You, brethren. A church thrives by godly partnership. They come alongside someone and say, I remember when I struggled with that. 
Can I pray for you on something? Like that? You say this makes this makes Pharisees. No, pride makes Pharisees. Humility is what says, I'm praying for you. I'm behind you. And I think the response is based on the relationship. If there's something in someone else's life that is unruly, and you know that someone else, a godly spiritual leader, has a better relationship with them, maybe that's who you should go to. And help them. Here's, here's a partnership to comfort. Paul set this example of comfort in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. He said, feeble-minded people here we're supposed to comfort. Why? Because feeble-minded people are easily tempted to quit. And we all can be this way at times. Instead of you know, scolding the fainted-hearted from a distance, we need to get close to them and speak tenderly. Like Paul referenced there in chapter 2, he was a nurse, he was a mother. We must teach that the trials of this life will help to enlarge them and make them stronger in the faith. But if we preach across the hallway to them, they don't hear us. Just like you should know your pastor, so you can pray and encourage him, you also should know your brothers and sisters in Christ for the same reason. So that you can help them. It says here to support them. I don't know if there was some sort of physical weakness going on in this church, maybe a spiritual weakness. But mature Christians, by the way, don't exploit the weaker conscience of a weaker brother. Support your brethren. If your immodesty is tearing down a Christian, you know what Paul says? He says, if meat make my brother to offend, check this out, second generation Christian, I will eat no more meat while the world standeth. He did not say, I will not eat meat while weaker brethren are around. He said, I'm so mature in the Lord, and by the way, reference Titus 2, that the the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to deny. Grace says no. Grace says no. Grace does not say yes. Grace teaches me to deny worldly lust. So, if, if I use, Paul said, I'm not going to eat any more meat while the world standeth. You see, that's extreme. That's how much he loved the weaker brethren. How much do we? I understand, you know, there's things that you might not do around another brother, but I, and I'm not saying you have to totally quit everything, okay? What I'm saying is this. My attitude should be, Lord, help me support that weaker brother. Help me not hurt them. Godly partnership. And in verse 14, patiently working together. Now we exhort your brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. Especially those that are in the nursery. Amen? That's not in there, but it can be that way. Right? Support them. Be behind them. And verse 15 is the last verse. And it's interesting because it kind of seems like it doesn't fit. He says here in verse 15, See that none render evil for evil unto any man. And it, maybe he's talking about those that are outside. He does at the end, but he said, but ever follow that which is good. And then he says, both among yourselves, that'd be the body, and to all men. So there's both. There's those that are outside and those that are inside. He says, he thro- it seems like he throws this random thought about vengeance and rendering evil for evil. What does it have to do with a thriving church family? Have you ever worked for God in service 
and you'll, and you find that sometimes people don't appreciate it. They don't notice it. And they don't mention it. And you might be tempted to complain. You might say, after all this time I've served your Lord, or I've served in this ministry, and this is what you render to me. <laughs> you know what I think Paul is, Paul is saying here, what the Holy Spirit's telling us? Leave the results to God. Leave the results to God. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. And that would be in the church as well, right? Leave the results to God. Being a part of church family is much more than attendance. It's a journey that we walk together. Sometimes we have bumps along the way. But God has given this church the necessary tools to thrive. Not just survive, thrive. And it's really two things. It's godly leadership and godly partnership. God has set over us those that lead, and they labor among us, and they're over us in the Lord. And then he asks us to be a part of that and to bind together. A thriving church family is a partnership of godly leaders and gracious followers bound together by one common salvation. We are so blessed. Our family has been blessed with the Spirit here at Hope Baptist Church. Thank you for letting us I'll be a part of that for a little while and just labor among you ourselves and be, be friends and, uh, and laugh and joke and make, make fun of Jeff and, and others. Families laugh together, don't they? Families cry together. Uh, families go through hard things and they stick together and come out the other side. And I want to encourage you to continue to do that. Stay faithful to the Lord in the capacity that the Lord has asked you until he returns, because he's coming soon. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for a chance again to be here among your people. We truly do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the common salvation that we have, the bond that we share in faith. And we thank you for Hope Baptist Church. Thank you for uh, what you did so many years ago to start this church. And thank you, God, for how you're watering it right now and how you're nurturing and caring for it. Thank you for the godly leadership. And Lord, I know my wife and I thank you for the godly partnership. Those that have bound together here so many years to serve you. We saw it this last week in the Bible conference. People stepping up, building the gaps, and serving for Jesus. Lord, continue to bless. Help us to thrive together. Strive together for the faith of the gospel. We pray this in your name.